Father, what a privilege it will be to think of the moment that we would be able to be in your presence, to think of things eternal, things that go on and on and on, and that we could uh, give you thanks, praise you forever and ever and ever. It boggles the mind. Lord, we sing now. It's just a foretaste, Father, of what it's going to be like when we stand before you and kneel before you and bow before you. And hopefully, Father, sing before you of your love that is forever and ever and ever. Can you even imagine? I can't. can't even imagine what it would be like to be able to stand in the presence of God Almighty and be able to lift up our voices or whatever it is. You know, I'm... Never been there, um, never seen it, but uh, the thought of just the, the thought of being before God overwhelms me. And uh, I, I thank God for every one of you. Love you so very, very much. Uh, thank you for being here. It's very kind of you to come and spend this day. Boy, summer just kind of jumped all over us the last couple of days. It's, it's good to see you here. We're in uh, Acts chapter 21. We have come to a very, very uh, amazing place in the Word of God. What I thought we would do is take a real close look rather than at Paul, although we're going to look at Paul. I thought we'd take a look at the people that, um, that are kind of the B players, if you would, behind the scenes in this. They're the ones that are causing the uproar. And they are causing the uproar for one, one very specific reason, and that is because... They are filling people with untruths about Paul. They are gossiping. They are setting forth rumors. And they cannot back up their accusations. And I, I thought to myself when I read this, I, 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 I said it almost out loud, if I remember correctly. I, I said, what, what harm, what harm has Paul done? You know, think about it. Um, what did he, did he do to cause such an uproar with the people? All he did was tell them about the Savior. All he did was tell them about, about Jesus Christ and how they might, through Jesus Christ, have eternal life. What was the harm? What if he's wrong? What if, what if he's wrong? What harm did he do to these, dear, these people? What caused them to be in such an uproar? What caused them to say, do away with him? In other words, kill this guy. Kill him. What caused that? And it took me to, to think about so many people within the family of God who have been hurt one way or another by, by accusations, by rumor, by gossip. And for some... None of us who, who gossiped about them, maybe, or, or rumored about them, wanted to do away with them. But how many times in the ministry that I've been in have I seen people drop out of church, stop going to church, because they were hurt by someone within the congregation or the pastor? And they stop doing anything for the Lord. So many times we've taken some words that we might have said about someone, or I've seen people kind of gradually come back to church. Someone encouraged them to come. 
And they found something here that, that, that brought that flame back within their heart to serve the Lord again, to, to go to church on a regular basis again. And for some, I've seen some get back involved serving the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength. And for a period of time, one person in particular that I was thinking of was something like, I don't remember the exact year, so don't hold me to the years. You don't know who it is anyways. But it was I thought it was like 12 years. 12 years that this person did not do anything within the church, in the framework of the church. And in essence, the people who hurt this person did away with him. And so this is no small thing that we're going to be taking a look at today. This is going to be something that, that is critical to a church. In my lifetime, I, I believe the Bible teaches so much. Let me start it this way. The Bible teaches so much about unity within the body of Christ. It talks about with our loving one another and, and being in the same uh, family and loving and just encouraging one another. In my lifetime, I, I want to be a part of a church, this church, that just loves one another, encourages each other, expects the best from one another. What we see happening here today in the life of Paul is anything but that. They want to do away with him. And I say to you again, for what reason? Let's take a look at who is making a fuss over Paul. Read with me in Acts chapter 21. And read with me from verses 27 to verse 36. And I'll explain to you, and you'll see in a moment, exactly who it is who's causing this uproar. Oh, before I start reading verse 27, forgive me. I loved it. Saw so your faces go up. You know? um, before I do, as you remember last week, Paul, Paul wanted to, they asked Paul, they meaning the, 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 the church leadership, said, Paul, there are those that think you're, you're trying to do harm to the Jews. You're trying to go against the law. You're trying to do things that are wrong. Would you, would you go and take a Nazarene vow with these four guys who have shaved their heads? Would you take a vow with them to show people that you, you're, you're not against what, we, what, we, what we, our religion teaches as, as Jews? And Paul says, of course I will. Because Paul wanted more to reach people for Christ than he wanted to be right or wrong or indifferent. He wanted to come together, bring the church together. So he went and did this Nazarene vow. And what we're going to see in verse 27, the reason I stopped, is he's on the final days of this vow. Now, now let's read. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing Paul in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and lay hands on Paul. They cried out, Verse 28, saying, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people, against our law, and against this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Please forgive me. I'm going to stop and read that again. Look, they supposed, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. 
And all the city was aroused, it said in verse 30, and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill Paul, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And in verse 32 it says, And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking Paul, Who are you? What have you done? But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts on account of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the stairs, it so happened that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, because the multitude of the people kept following behind, crying out, away with him, kill him. I ask you again, what did Paul do so wrong that they wanted him dead? What brought them to such an uproar? Well, I think you and I are going to see who they are. But to come to that degree of trying to kill a man just because he was telling them what he believed to be the truth concerning eternal life and what he believed to be the truth concerning eternal life, telling them that they also could have it by faith in Christ, caused them to want to kill him. Amazing. Just because they supposed that he had brought someone into the temple. They didn't even stop long enough to ask questions. Father, when we come to this place in Scripture, it is, it is important, Father, that, um, that you please take a hold of each of our hearts. There is, Father, nothing more that I long for in this place, at this time, that there, there would be unity within the family of God. Watch over, Father, this message. Hide, please, the one that gives it, so that I might not do any disharm. Number one, to the words that you've written, most importantly, nor that I would do any harm to anyone who is hearing it, nor, Father, would I do any harm to the message that you have for them, for their own hearts. And so I, I ask that you'd move me aside. Just, just move me aside, Father. I'm fine with that. I, I just want us to see you in all of your glory. As we sang a while ago, Father, I, I long for the day that all of us can be in, in heaven itself and sing of your love forever. Praise you for your love and concern and your care for us forever. Uh, it boggles my mind. I don't understand it all yet, Father. I'm still trying to grasp what all that means. And so I, along with everyone here, ask that you would teach us. Teach us. From your word we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I said in the first service, uh, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we're in heaven? You know, and let's say all of this is true. Let's, all that we're teaching is true. All that we see in the Bible is true. And we're all in heaven someday. And we're standing there maybe, and we're maybe singing. Maybe we're singing to the Lord. 
And I envision catching your eye. And you catching my eye and just kind of, yeah, we did it. You know, it's we were right. This is it. This is what we were looking forward to. This is that moment in time that will last forever. I kind of look forward to that. Love you so much. Hard to put into words. Okay, let's take a look. Who is it that's raising this fuss against Paul? What was the harm of what he had told them about Christ? We get a clue from who it is from two verses. Verses 27 and verse 29. Look with me again. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia. There's a clue. They're Jews from Asia. They saw Paul in the temple. And so it says, they began to stir up all the multitudes to lay their hands on Paul. In other words, they wanted to grab him and start to abuse him. Verse 29, we find out more. They had, watch, previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city. So they saw Trophimus with Paul in the city of Ephesus. So we know these are the guys who were in Ephesus and caused an uproar concerning Paul there in Ephesus. They followed him from Ephesus to Jerusalem to still do him harm. Look at chapter 19 and we see more clearly who they are and why they are upset. In in chapter 19, verse 23... Uh, Luke writes, about that time there arose, he, he likes to use this phrase, no small disturbance. In other words, there's this great uproar concerning the way. Now the way were, were, were the believers. The way was what they called Christians in those days. So there's no small disturbance concerning the Christians because it says in verse 24, a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing, again, look, no little business to the craftsmen. In other words, there is a lot of money being being exchanged in this business of making idols of Artemis and selling them to the people. In verse 25, we are told, he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, man... You know that our prosperity depends upon this business. Stop for just a second. I remember vividly talking about this verse how many months ago when we were in chapter 19. I remember vividly saying that where is your prosperity? Where is it that you get your oomph of life, so to speak? If it's in what you do, if it's in your business, if it's in your friends, I said you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I said that your prosperity, my prosperity, our prosperity ought to be in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He ought to be the one. We humble ourselves under his mighty hand that he would, in his good time, exalt us as we humble ourselves to him. And so these guys here are saying, look, our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see, verse 26, back in chapter 19, you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. So we get a little hint more. This Paul has persuaded and turned away considerable numbers of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And so he says, not only... Is there danger that this trade of ours would fall in disrepute? 
but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless. And that she, whom all of Asia and the world worships, should be dethroned from her magnificence. So these are the guys who have followed Paul from Ephesus to come to follow him to Jerusalem to catch him in that moment where they can do away with him. And so as you can see, it's not simply that he's preaching Jesus Christ, but it is basically that. But what he has done is he's moved into their area of prosperity. And they became upset with that. Their dust, their prosperity depended upon that. You know, I think about that. In fact, uh, uh, Pastor Fred reminded me about thinking about what are our idols? You know, you say, well, we don't have to worry about that. We, we don't make shrines to anything or anyone. But the fact of the matter is, we've got to be careful. All of us might have an idol. It might be your job. It might be your youth. It might be uh, whatever. Whatever is in the place of your Lord and Savior becomes an idol. Well, like they did in Ephesus, here in Jerusalem, they called upon the people. Look at verse 27. Back to chapter 21. Look at verse 27. They called upon the people. They stirred up the crowd to lay hands on Paul. In a mob-like fashion, that they want to do Paul harm. Now, that's something that Paul was very familiar with. We had learned that it wasn't only... Paul was warned back in, in the 21st chapter as we started reading in verse 4 and also in verse 11. They warned Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But we also learned that the Holy Spirit told Paul, no matter where, Paul, no matter where you go, there will be bonds and affliction that await you. Paul was familiar with this lifestyle. I say to you, I think all of us, Oh, Paul, a great big hug. When we get to heaven, I think if, if he gives us permission, we ought to hug his neck and tell him thank you. Thank you that he did not give up doing what he did because his, his persistence to become a man of God, his persistence to reach people for Christ has impacted your life and my life. If by no other reason for the books that he wrote. What you and I understand about our Savior, for the most part, Paul has a huge hand in it. And he would not give up, even though he was warned, you go to Jerusalem and you're going to be afflicted, Paul, put in bonds. And so in verse 28 of chapter 21, they began to shout their lies about him. Contrary to their accusations, Paul had not taught everyone to be against the Jews, their laws, or the temple. As On the contrary, we learned that last week. Why wouldn't they just ask him? What was the harm that he did? And the major point of their argument is the accusation that Paul brought Greeks, namely this guy Trophimus, into the temple, thus defiling the whole place, the holy place. And Paul would never do that. Paul would never take this guy Trophimus and put his life at risk by having him go into the temple. Paul knew better. What we learn about Trophimus is that he was an Ephesian that came from Ephesus with Paul to Jerusalem, and he witnessed firsthand what took place that we read about in chapter 19, where Paul threatened the livelihood of the craftsmen 
in that community and in Asia who made idols with their hands, saying, these are not gods, these things that you make with your hands. And so they stir up the crowd, and they stir up the people against Paul by spreading rumors about him. As it says right here, back in chapter 21, um, when it, it says, uh, where am I? In chapter 21, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the other side of the page, where it says to the, that they supposed, in verse 29, they just supposed that Paul had brought Trophimus into the temple. Didn't know for sure. But they did know this. They did know how effective the work that Paul did They knew that their strategy was to discredit him so that his work, the work of Jesus Christ, would be weakened. And so I come back to what we are as a church, who we are as people. Today, in the case of the church, or within your life, or within my life, there are problems sometimes that occur, rumors that will arise. And if someone comes to you to start saying something about another person, I simply ask you to be on the alert. When you hear an accusation against one of God's workers, be aware about those who are spreading the bad reports. It could be from an unbeliever. It could be from someone who is purely just simply jealous. And and without knowing it, are merely trying, are, are not merely trying, but are hindering the progress of Christ. Maybe they want to strengthen their own position. Maybe they're jealous. It doesn't matter what the reason is. Just be on the alert when they come and start to talk to you about somebody. Keep an open mind. Pray when you hear a rumor. Pray when you hear a gossip. Ask God to silence any rumor or or, or gossip monger who comes against those who do the work of God. A great verse that I found in the Word of God is in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. Because... I went through this process, having rumors against my serving the Lord. It says in Proverbs 18, 17, the first to plead his case seems right until, until it says, another comes and examines him. You see, what was the harm that Paul did? Why did he not examine? What what did he do so wrong? The soldiers who, who gathered him said, Who are you and what have you done? What has caused this uproar? And so if someone comes to you and tries to get you to hear their case against the church or someone, ask them to hold their story. Tell them, wait, don't tell me about this. Let's find the person that you're having a problem with. Let's find the what it is that you're having a problem with so that we can come together and and see if we can't reason with that person or reason why there is a problem so that we can solve it. Usually I have found that there's normally two sides to most every story. And normally the problem can be solved, that is, if two willing people have no agenda but just are willing to reason together so as to find out why is this taking place. I say to you right now, there is not a one of you here that I know of that I have purposely tried to hurt. Not one of you. But being that I'm a human being, maybe I have. But maybe I have. I ask you, if you have something against me, come and ask. 
if you knew me well enough, you'd know if I tried to hurt you, I'd say, you darn right I did. So, boom, there. <laughs> but more than likely, what you'll find is I will ask you to forgive me. I will ask you to forgive me. Because I mean no harm to any of us here. Not one. Sometimes when people come and they, they, they want to try to solve the problem and, and they come to you and ask what I have done, and I've been in the ministry long enough to see this happen, I say, wait, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear more about this person. What I would like to do with you, if you don't mind, is let's go find this person or the problem, and, and, and let's try to solve it. And normally what I hear, mm, no, it's, it's not worth the problem. Really, it's, no, let's forget about it. It's okay. And then they drop it until they meet someone else who has a sympathetic ear that will listen to their story and sympathize or agree with them. See, solving the problem for some people just isn't the answer or the desire normally. Back to Acts 21. Think about it. The passage marks a transition in the life and the ministry of Paul. Paul had his life impacted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, I think it is. He was going there to persecute more Christians, those of the way, and put them in jail and have some of them put to death. On the way, do you remember what happened? It's such a wonderful, wonderful story. On the way, he gets knocked off of his donkey, and because of the light being so bright, he was blinded. And Paul asks, Who are you, Lord? And the voice comes to him says, I am Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you what? Do you remember what he says? Persecuting me. And I said to you way back then when we were in that ninth chapter, Paul never laid a glove on Jesus Christ. What we learn from that is something deep and truthful. When you and I, or Paul in this instance, goes against one of God's children... It is very personal to the Lord. The Lord didn't say, Paul, why are you harming that other person? Why are you harming that believer? He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And you and I can learn a great thing from that. To start a gossip or to say something against someone that we're... They have no right to say, we're not really hurting that person. We are literally persecuting our Lord. And since that time, when Paul got impacted by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was free to minister from that day forward. But from now on, here in the book of Acts, Paul becomes a prisoner. And yet he turns the events of this imprisonment does not stop or end his ministry. I thought to myself... For some, what is keeping you from, from doing what God's called you to do or from investigating so that you might do what God's called you to do? What is stopping you? What, what has put you in bonds, so to speak, so that you don't serve the Lord? Don't let circumstances stop you from serving the Lord all your heart. 
Paul took this opportunity and he called himself in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 20 an ambassador who is in chains. That's who I am. I'm not freely out there anymore. I am now an ambassador who is in change. He went from a free man who went and preached the gospel throughout the whole Roman world. Now as a prisoner he will become from this moment forward preaching the gospel to anyone that came and visited him in jail. From Roman officials, including the emperor, and perhaps most importantly, as I mentioned to you just a while ago, he sat there long enough to write four books. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Much of what you and I know about the Lord has been written because Paul was in prison. And so we could sit back and say, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that Paul was in prison, that he wrote a scripture. Until you step back and think, wait a minute. I've heard people say, praise the Lord that you're going through the difficulties you're going through. Not me, you, anybody. Praise the Lord. But if we can get inside their innermost being, you know, some of them feel like they're going through death. It, it feels like they're slowly but surely just dying inside. Paul would not let his circumstances stop him. And I beg of you and I beg of me, don't let your or my, our circumstances stop us from serving the Lord. As you can read in Acts chapter 21 from verses 30 to 36, the mob was about to kill Paul, it says in verse 31. But in verses 32 and 33, the, the commander and the soldiers rushed up because there was a great confusion in the city and they stopped them from beating Paul up. And they took Paul into their care, trying to find out what it is that he'd done. The same thing that the mob should have asked what did Paul do that it was so bad? They just supposed that he defiled the temple? And if you look at verse 33, we are told the commander came up to him, took hold of him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. If you look back at, at, at verse 11, this, this guy named Agabus, who was in Ephesus, told him, the one who owns this belt, he's going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to bind him and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And sure enough, Agabus was right on the money about his prophecy. And look what happens. They ask, in verse 33, they ask Paul, Who are you? What have you done? And what happens is the crowd follows after the army, the soldiers, and, and they kept shouting to them, do away with him. Do away with this guy. Kill him. That happened to Peter. Happened to Stephen. Happened to our Lord, didn't it? Along with many other saints in that day who were martyred for the cause of Christ. Rather than trying to find out the truth, some people simply wish to do away with them. Just do away with them so as to justify their own feelings or rid themselves of the problem. See, in a similar fashion, within, within a family or within a relationship or within something that you and I have, some people today, rather than to find out the truth, want to, 
want to find someone to agree or to listen to them so that they can do away with the problem by discrediting the person or the problem that is before them. You know what the issue normally is? It's, it's so that they can prove that they are correct and that the other person is wrong. Well, we don't want to do away with the person. We just want to prove that we're right and they're wrong. But as I said to you a while ago, picked up and brushed off and tried to bandage up a lot of people who have been hurt because of what some people have said about them or done to them. They didn't mean to harm them. But inside their spirit, they drop out of the church. They stop serving. Figure, you know, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends... My goodness, I surely wouldn't want to be your enemy. And so we need to be careful. I want to ask you to turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to close in a moment. James chapter 3. James is to the right. We won't go back to Acts 21, so you can just close that part of your scripture. Look at James chapter 3. It's right after the book of Hebrews just before, of course, the book of Revelation in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and all. In James chapter 3, one of, the, one of my least favorite verses in all of Scripture is 3.1. It says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you're going to incur a stricter judgment. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm not sure I'm happy with that verse. He goes on to say, James does in verse 2, We all stumble in many ways. If a person doesn't stumble in what he says... He's a perfect person, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, James is going to talk about our tongues. And he's going to use an example as a, a bit and a horse, and uh, he's going to be using the example of, uh, of a rudder of a ship and a fire. Look what he says in verse 3. If, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, ships also, though they are great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also is the tongue, James writes. It's a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest fire is set aflame by just a small fire. And he says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Verse 8, it says, No one can tame the tongue. It, it's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I was going to read a lot more. I, I don't want to. Not for any other reason other than if you wish to, read it on your own. I wanted to take the remaining moments of this service to just have you and me reflect upon ourselves. I'm going to just kind of dim the lights a little bit in a while, maybe put on a little background music. We'll just sit here for a while. I'm not going to have you sit long. And just reflect. If there's someone that, that you are holding something against, 
I beg of you to forgive them. Uh, you don't necessarily, like someone came to me last night and they asked me, they, they, they told me a great involved story. I won't tell you the story, but, but I told them, forgive them. You don't have to hang out with them. Just forgive them. Just forgive them. So as to set your tummy free. Because they probably won't know that you've forgiven them. It's not for them. It's for you and me. And also, if you need forgiveness and the Lord convicts you in that fashion, deal with it. Deal with it the best you know how. And so we're just going to have a time. If you want to come up and, and kneel before the cross, that's your choice. Um, you don't need to do that unless you want to. And then in about four or five minutes, after you just kind of think through some things, we'll close in prayer. So as to tell you, so I don't forget, I love you. I love you guys so much. I love you so much. I thank you for being here. I thank you. I thank you, Carol. I thank you. I love you people so much. Kent, I love you guys so much. I love you all. I love you guys so much. I count it a privilege to be a part of this church with you. Let's try with all of our hearts to somehow, some way, make this such a special place where we repair people rather than hurting them. Some people, by talking, don't realize they're doing away with a person who is a very saint of, of our Lord. And I think some people are going to hear someday, why have you persecuted me, Jesus might ask when you were putting that other person down. So let's pray. Father, as we uh, close this time, I realized I forgot to read it, verses that was important to my family. When our kids would argue with one another, Kay would get the three of us, myself and the kids together and say, in Ephesians 4, 29 and 32, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but rather only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give you grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Rather, we were taught as a family, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Father, thank you for this time. Bless the people of this church. I love them so much, Father. May we be a church that blesses you. May we be a church that has great love for one another, forgiving each other being tender-hearted towards one another, kind, just as you have been, Father, to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. I love you. Have a wonderful day. See you next week.